You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our text today is from Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so a Polish philosopher said these words. Here I am. Here means on this earth, on this continent and no other. In this city and in no other. In this epoch or this time period, I call mine, this century, this year, I was given no other place, no other time, and I touch my desk to defend myself against the feeling that my own body is transient. In other words, he says, I have developed this important habit of embracing physical things to remind myself that I am right here, right now. Do not overlook the significance of this idea right here. Because never has there been a generation before us that has struggled to grasp the reality of here and now more than we have today. With all of the developments in digital technology, all of our developments in logistics and transportation, we have the ability to be so many different places. Sometimes multiple places with different people at the same time. And yet we keep bumping up against this unavoidable fact, one that no amount of technology is ever going to be changed, uh, that's no amount of technology is ever going to be able to change for us. And, And that unavoidable fact is this, to be everywhere at once is to be nowhere at all. To be multiple places at once is to be nowhere at all. As one author put it, Americans reached for the stars 
as they withered their roots, they inhabited space, but they lost any sense of place. Place. What does that even mean? Before we begin uh, our Eastertide series in John 21 and tw- uh, 20 and 21 next week, this week I want to focus on vision for our community. And one value that we have identified as being vital, a biblical value that we've identified as being uh, extremely important for the life and future of this church and its members is the biblical value of rootedness. That God has called us to live rooted lives. And here's the big idea that I want to kind of develop today, and it's this, that flourishing in the future depends on a commitment to remain rooted today. You want to be a flourishing church? You want to be a flourishing people? It involves commitment to remain rooted today. And the reality is that our aspirations for the future, all our dreams of making a significant impact, plans to live these fruitful lives for the sake of our communities, they mean very little without deep roots. Without deep roots. And what we see here in Jeremiah 29 is that God's vision for his people being rooted means this. It means remaining in a specific place with a specific people for a specific period of time. Now, you're going to look at that and you're like, eh, that's so basic. That's so practical. Where's the spiritual meat? Don't sleep. Can I get that list again? See, it's that forgettable. Can I get that list one more time, Israel? Oh, the devil's coming against vision today. There it is. Okay. Let's leave that for just a second. Remaining in a specific place with a specific people for a significant period of time. Look back at history. Think about groups and movements that inspire us in Christian history where we saw people leave a significant impact in the kingdom of God. I can almost guarantee you that all three of those were in place. You remove one of those components and you decrease your impact significantly. Don't sleep on this very practical, yet extremely impactful list. Remaining in a specific place with a specific people for a specific or a significant period of time. Now, a little bit of context for this passage that we're looking at here in Jeremiah 29. In 597 BC, Uh, the Babylonian army conquered the nation of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. And among those who survived this conquest and invasion, they took most of the remaining people into captivity, far from their home, across what is called the Fertile Crescent into a foreign land called Babylon. And the interesting thing is that while King Nebuchadnezzar was the one who carried this out, he was the human agent behind all of this going on. But God makes this very strange clarification about what happened in verse 4. Look with me again in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, listen, whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I thought it was Nebuchadnezzar. I thought it was the Babylonian army who came and invaded the people and took them to Babylon. What's going on? And God says, no, to the exiles that I sent. 
what does that mean for us? It means that God is sovereign over where you are. And it means that God is sovereign over the place that you live. And it means that God is sovereign over the season of life that you find yourself within. And God is sovereign over who you are with in that period of time. And God, God is even sovereign over how long you are in that place. We're so worried about being in the right place and being in the right time and being with the right people. And God says, I am sovereign. I am guiding I am directing. You're not in control. I am. This is important for us to grasp as well because the New Testament uses this very same language to describe the whole of the Christian life. We are also exiles. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means that you are an exile. We are displaced from our true home with God in heaven and now we are waiting to be home again. We're, we're in that in-between period where we know where we belong, we know who we belong to, but we're waiting to be home. And so the question for any exile, us included today, is this, what is an exile to do in the meantime? What do we do right now? What do we do right here? If we are sojourners that are simply passing through, this isn't our true eternal home, then how do we interact with the place that we find ourselves in right now? The natural impulse would be, don't get too attached, duh. You're just passing through. Keep your bags packed. Stay ready to leave. Invest as little as possible. Take if you need to, but don't give too much back. Treat this time and this place as like a, you know, a stepping stone to something better because soon and very soon, we're going to be out of here. Now, this was the very popular narrative that was circulating in the time of Israel's exile as well. But we have to pay attention to the source of this idea because what we see here is that it's actually false prophets who were spreading these ideas of false hope, telling the people what they wanted to hear. And in the very previous chapter, we see that these false prophets were going around saying something like this, hey, this is going to be over swiftly, this is going to be over in just a couple of years, so live ready to leave. And, and you'll, you'll blink and it's going to be done and, and we're out of here. And what this message resulted in was many of God's people living these very transient, very rootless lives. And so what God does is he commissions a prophet named Jeremiah to send a letter on behalf of God to these people in exile, casting vision that is both honest and hopeful. Honest that their exile was going to be a lot longer than they anticipated. In fact, we're told here that the exile was going to be 70 years, which is like the equivalent of an entire lifetime. He's essentially saying it's going to feel like a lifetime because it's going to be a lifetime. Because it is. So here's the deal. Settle in. Play the long game. Start taking the long view of life. Quit thinking in terms 
of days and months and even a couple years, start thinking in terms of decades and future generations. Reality, this is a word for us today. In, in, in our hypermobile, transient culture, we need to shift our thinking in this sort of way as well. God is being honest with them, but he's also extremely hopeful here. God says, this may not be where you would like to be long-term. This is maybe where you never imagined being long-term. But I have a hopeful future planned for you right here. I am calling you into a very fruitful, meaningful life, one of flourishing and one of beauty in the least likely place that you could ever imagine. In fact, God reiterates his plans to his people and he reiterates his plan for their welfare. And the word that is used over and over again here, our word uh, in English, in the ESV at least, is translated welfare. You may have the NIV translated peace. The word in the original Hebrew is shalom. And this word is repeated, I believe, three times in this passage. Meaning God is saying, focus on this idea here. Here's the vision. Here's what I want you to imagine in your mind. What is shalom? Well, a theologian named Cornelius Plantinga put it this way. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and uh, where natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as uh, its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. What is the vision that God is casting here? It's experiencing the way things ought to be. And this is actually the word that is often used to describe the Garden of Eden, paradise. And the way that the world was intended to be before sin and death devastated it. And so I want you to pay attention to this. Because this is a wild idea. God is saying that there is a way to experience the life of Eden in the land of exile. There is a way to experience the life of Eden in the land of exile. The way things ought to be can be found in the least likely places, which leads me to believe Stockton included, amen? But like any garden, like any garden, Eden included, it's going to require serious cultivating. Serious cultivating. And so the Lord says this is what cultivating an exile is going to look like. Look with me again in verses 5 through 7. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare, there's the word shalom, of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its shalom you will find your Shalom. In its peace, you'll find your peace. So there's some themes here. Building, planting, multiplying, seeking the welfare of the city, 
and praying. And I believe this serves as a template for what a rooted community ought to look like. So let's look at these just briefly one by one. Cultivating an exile first involves building. Now remember, they had been thinking about their exile in terms of like an extremely temporary uh, amount of time, extremely short amount of time. And because of this, they were extremely hesitant about doing anything permanent. So they were living in these temporary shelters outside of the city. They were living out of suitcases, so to speak. But God says something dramatic here. He says, I'm calling you to establish a more permanent presence. In other words, you need to drop this like month to month rental mindset where I can break lease at any time and go and focus your time and focus your energy and focus your resources into building something that's gonna last. Here's what God is telling the community. Make concrete decisions that involve long-term commitments. How otherworldly does that sound today? Make concrete decisions that involve long-term commitments. One way we, the, we as reality believe that God has called us to build and to invest is to invest in a permanent space that will allow us to establish a long-term presence in our city, uh, that will allow us to expand the, the message or at least the reach of the message of the gospel and, and provide space for others to join as well. We believe that we are in a season where God is calling us to take the long view. Now, we're going to talk more and more about this in the months and maybe even years to come. This is a long-term vision for us as a community, but I want to be faithful to reiterate what we believe God has put on our hearts as a community. Our deep desire is to leave behind a physical space and a spiritual legacy for future generations to continue the work of the gospel in Stockton and beyond. And something that we're going to be rolling out, uh, actually, the good news is this. There have been faithful families and individuals in this church that, like, before our Rooted campaign was even public, they've been giving financially to this thing for, like, a year, maybe even longer. So for those who have already caught the vision before it's even been communicated on a broad scale, thank you. But we're going to continue to keep this in front of the church because we believe that God is calling us to put down roots and to build something concrete, to make some long-term commitments that will uh, help establish future generations once we are long gone. To be able to hand off a spiritual legacy to the generations coming so that they don't have to mess with any of this building drama that we've had to mess with over the last 15 years. Can I get an amen? amen. Secondly, this involves planting. I probably should have mentioned this at the beginning of the sermon. This is an extremely brass tacks, practical sermon, laying out who we are as a church and where we're going. Um, secondly, cultivating exile involves planting. I love how practical this is. I love how practical this is. And based on everyone's like Instagram and social media posts lately, I know that you are digging this as well because everyone is like garden obsessed right now. And here's the great thing. The vision that God gives his spiritual community is to plant gardens. And we can use this as sort of like an analogy and a metaphor, but guess what? He was actually talking about gardens. 
Like he was talking about dirt and seed and planting and growing. And there's so much significance in this idea and this picture for us. For one, planting involves commitment to a specific place. If you're going to plant a garden, you pick your plot, you pick and you stick. And like, that's where it's going to be. So someone recently gave us a Japanese maple, which is not a cheap plant. Like these are sort of expensive plants. And so we've been like keeping it in the pot, waiting for, you know, the right place to plant this plant. But as you know, like trees can't remain in pots forever. There's a, an analogy for you there. And so we found, okay, here's where we're going to plant this Japanese maple. We had a sort of general area where we're going to do it. And we, I put the pot out there. But before I put it in the ground, I made, not made, I asked very kindly, Michelle, come out of the house. And I'm like, tell me where this thing has to go in the ground. Not like a general area. I want to know the exact place. Because if it's going in the ground, it's not coming back up. These kind of trees don't flourish when they're being uprooted all the time. There's another analogy for you. If it goes in the ground, it's staying in the ground. That is going to be the tree that I look at, God willing, 50 years from now flourishing. I want to make sure that where it's planted, it stays. Planting requires a commitment to a specific plot. Also, planting requires a time commitment. Many trees take years to produce edible fruit. Years and years. This is about a long-term commitment to the seeds that were planted. In order to enjoy the fruit of something, you have got to stay in one place long enough to watch it grow. We do this weird thing. We stay for a little bit. We don't get the fruitfulness out of something or situation that we like, and we're like, I'm moving on to somewhere else. You have to stay long enough for it to grow. You have to cultivate long enough to ever enjoy its fruit. And planting a garden not only provides for you and your household, but it also makes you a contributor. Having a garden means that you are constantly offloading produce when it, when it yields, right? Like people who have planted gardens, so we have not committed to like a vegetable garden yet because I know that I wanna, I, I wanna know exactly where it's going and I'm not ready for that kind of commitment. But my friends who have these gardens, from what I observe, gardening is like this. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, 5,000 zucchini. <laughs> and you're like giving them away and giving them away. You're like, you can't offload them fast enough. Planting a garden not only provides for your household, it makes you a contributor, a giver. Thirdly, God's vision involves multiplying. One of the effects of living with a sort of temporary mindset was that the community of God stopped getting married and having babies. They stopped establishing families. I want you to think about this. Intimacy, vulnerability, commitment in relationships ultimately suffers when we've got this sort of transient temporary mindset in community. It's no surprise that today that the most mobile, most transient generation ever is also the reason for a very steady decline in reproduction. My wife's administrator was just uh, telling their school that 
Enrollment is down. And she said very explicitly, enrollment is down because millennials are not having babies. (laughs) So you see the correlation? Transient culture, always on the move generation, less multiplication. Now, for the Christian community, being fruitful and multiplying does mean getting married and having babies and raising up children in the Lord. We've had that blessing as a family. We've had that blessing as a church family. And um, I hope that we continue this legacy. I already am projecting a lot of weddings on the calendar this year. In the month of May, we're going to have three baby dedications, one of which is through adoption. And so we're really excited about the way that God is multiplying our community in this way. But I also want to say this. In the New Testament, the scriptures expand our vision to include non-biological growth as well. Expanding the family of God as men and women and children trust in Jesus. We grow, we, we gain new brothers and sisters in Christ through faith. And so what this also means for us is spreading the seeds of the gospel. We are going to multiply reality by making babies and making disciples. That is our vision, to see our kids' ministry multiply, but also to see our community groups and our small groups and our adult ministries multiply as people come to Christ. Amen? I remember having a conversation with a college student a few years ago. Um, It was, I think, two years ago, but it was probably five years ago now. And um, I was encouraging him to get involved in the community during his time at UOP. It was going to be four years, so like put down roots. And I remember him telling me shamelessly these words. He said, I'm only going to be here for a short period of time, and I don't really want to get too attached to people. I'm only going to be here for a little bit. I don't want to get too attached. So I'm just going to sit in the back and, like, sneak in and sneak out. That's going to be my deal for four years. And he honest. I do appreciate his honesty and candor. He honestly verbalized that he didn't see any part in establishing meaningful, long-term relationships because he was going to be leaving soon. And sure enough, he did. As God's people root themselves, here I'm going to list that list again, in a specific place, with a specific people, for a significant period of time, what ends up happening is your capacity to engage people to experience intimacy and relationships, to experience deep connection, expands. And through that expanding of your capacity to relate to others, your ability to grow and your ability to multiply expands as well. There's something deep, spiritual, and psychological that opens up and unlocks when you say, say, this is my place and these are my people, ride or freaking die. Amen? I know, okay, sorry. Fourthly, you guys still with me? We cultivate by seeking the welfare of our city. At the time of this letter, the exiles had mostly set up these temporary shelters on the banks of the rivers. You can actually read about where they were living on the banks of the rivers in some of the Psalms. So they were outside of the city. They avoided living in and among the Babylonian people. And they had reasons for this, okay? Cultural differences, language barriers, religious rights, um, 
Not to mention the enmity that existed between the people, like you're the people that invaded us and like conquered us and brought us here. So there was hostility and enmity. But the point is, they were living very disconnected from the life of the city. But God instructs the people to stop living these isolated, avoidant lives and get involved. He literally tells them, move in. Roll up your sleeves. Rub shoulders with the people. Get your hands dirty serving this city that I have brought you to. And he makes this really eye-opening statement here. He says, your well-being is now forever going to be attached to the well-being of your city. You can't flourish and prosper and leave your city behind. It's not going to work that way. And this is true for us as individuals, and I believe that this is true for us as a church. God's people can't flourish apart from seeking their cities flourishing. And so we too must engage and not disengage. So how do we engage? We engage by caring for the poor. We engage by getting involved in the city. We get engaged by getting involved in city improvement opportunities. Look around at our city and problems in education. How do we get engaged? Do we just live avoidant? We say the education's too broken, we're going to disconnect. Or do we get involved to make a difference and see it grow? In its welfare, you will find your, your welfare. In its shalom, you're going to find your shalom. And finally, this involves praying. Have you ever noticed how praying for someone actually changes your heart towards them? I have found that it is nearly impossible to resent someone that you pray for daily. It doesn't mean that you're never going to disagree with them. It doesn't mean that they'll never make you angry. But it's hard to remain bitter and resentful towards someone that you pray for often. Prayer softens our hearts and it expands and increases our ability to experience compassion and concern even for our enemies, even for our enemies. I remember when our family moved back to Stockton in 2010, we did not come back planning to stay. Shocker. Our period in Stockton in 2010, for us, it was just gonna be a stepping stone. We were living overseas, we came up against these crazy immigration issues. We totally ran out of money. We moved back to Stockton with our tail between our legs and we're like, we're just gonna be here for a short amount of time. And within just a few months, in broad daylight, we witnessed a drive-by shooting as our directly across the street neighbor was shot and killed on his porch. I can still hear the gunshots. I can still see him rolling around on the ground. It was an extremely traumatic experience that our children saw. It was horrible. And I remember immediately that like solidified for us like, okay, this is short and temporary and we are out of here. But this is also when we started taking serious the call to pray for our city. And it was then that I realized that I was not going to be able to last long in the city of Stockton without seriously praying for it. Or I, like so many people before me, would become consumed by everything that is wrong with it. And that is so easy. 
And that is so easy to experience, just getting so consumed with everything that is wrong with our city. And so I started praying for it. And now, over a decade later, I can tell you that prayer has changed my heart for our city. Now, it doesn't mean that I always like the city of Stockton. It doesn't mean that when I read about something like a bullet going through the windows of Applebee's, like three seconds from my house that I'm not concerned to get freaked out. Although I probably haven't been to Applebee's in a decade as well, but you, you get the point. Um, Bloom and onions. Okay, so it doesn't mean that I don't dislike at times. It doesn't mean that I'm not concerned. It doesn't mean even that I don't experience these feelings like we got to get out of here. I'm not saying that never happens. But I can tell you this, prayer has shaped my heart for the city. And I'm looking around at a group of men and women and children that have experienced the same thing as well. I promise you, you will have a very hard time presenting a place and a people that you pray for daily, amen? So what I wanna do is I wanna conclude by considering how we can receive this vision from God as a community and then live into it. Let me ask it a different way. Where does the power and motivation to remain rooted in this sort of way come from? And what I want to do is I want to ask you to consider these instructions one last time. I'm sending you away from your home to a foreign, hostile place. I am sending you to a place where you will live and eventually die. I want you to live among the people. I want you to bring many sons and daughters into the family. I want you to invest your life in the flourishing of this people. I want you to usher in shalom to these people. I want you to pray for them. I want you to seek their good at whatever cost to yourself. Where else do we hear instructions like this? Who, who else received a commission like this? As we step back and we look at the whole of scripture, what we see here is that this is what God asked his very own son, Jesus Christ, to do. This is what Jesus was willing to do for us in order to give us a future and in order to give us a hope. The gospel writer John writes the, these words, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. One translation reads, and the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He built his house among us. We now can seek the peace of our city. We now can seek the flourishing of our city because Jesus first sought our peace. And he didn't just bring flourishing through planting gardens. The gospel tells us that he brought life and flourishing by himself being planted. Jesus was the seed that died and was buried and now through the resurrection is springing up new life. First Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus is the first fruits of God's new creation coming into this world. And the renewal that God is now bringing into this world through Jesus Christ, he is ushering in through his people, the church. And so here is my parting statement reality. Here and now, touch your pew. Touch something physical. Defend yourself against this idea that your body is transient and rootless. Here and now, 
is our garden. Let's cultivate, and by God's grace, let's make something beautiful. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the...